0: You guys can't see it, but I'm doing an air quote right now. This nice culture, it was from a place of fear. Fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of failure. So my way of masking those fear was to just be nice, make promises. But it was still fundamentally come from a place of fear. Because if I wasn't fearful, I would also set boundaries. I would also set expectation. I would also give feedback.
1: You from the City Roses. This is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we are excited to have an old friend join us once again. Yes, Cheryl from Untamed Artistry is here and she's here to talk about culture. Actually, it's something I I can't remember. We have too many episodes now. I look back and I'm like, We talked about culture and I don't know if we've ever done it or if we have just in passing. So today we're going to talk about, to be honest, it's a huge, huge topic. One that we could probably do multiple episodes on. So this probably will not be the first time. In fact, I might now purposely go back and say, no, we just got to do a regular, another episode on this and break it all down. But Cheryl brings some great stuff, some great information for you guys and just kind of shares kind of the way she's been thinking and it's been evolving and it's actually really exciting to see Cheryl as she grows as a leader and as she grows in our industry and to see and learn from her so you will get a lot from that but before as always guys announcements yes we have announcements and we have a big one guys the Lashy Awards. Are now accepting applications, or are open, or whatever. We want to have like a trumpet sound. I'm sorry, that was really lame. Well, right, anyhow, that all said, the last year awards are open, and you, yes, you listening right now, you need to apply. I know you're probably sitting there going, oh, I don't know, it's going to be work, and I'm not that, I'm not that impressive. I still got so many things I need to do, to make my business better. Doesn't matter, guys. Let me tell you a really quick story we were a coaching client of strategies that everyone knows, and they have an awards program that they do every year. And we, in 20, I think 15, went and watched all these people go, and we were so impressed by all these companies. And in 2016, our coach said, you should apply. And I went, we're still trying to fix all the things that we messed up. We're not ready. We're not that good, da, 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 da. He says, just apply. The worst that will happen is you won't win. And you won't win for sure if you don't apply. So nothing lost, right? So I took the time, filled out the application, did all the work, and it, it wasn't long. It was like a probably eight, 12-hour application. Got done, and guess what, guys? We actually won an award. It was our first business award. It was actually one of the most exciting moments in our business because someone said, looked at our business, said, you are doing something pretty unique. You're doing something special, and that's why The last year awards exist because we want to reward salons and solo artists who work solo, you know, have their own business and recognize the best of the best. And By the way, it's not just one winner. It's not like there's the best person customer service. I don't believe in that. I just believe if you meet a certain threshold of excellence, you can have we can have two, three. Last year, I think the most we had one category was three winners. Um, Some had two and I think we had one or two with one. So that said, we are going to continue that tradition where we will hand out as many awards for that category as we feel, or not we, our judges feel um, qualified. And so we have like over 40 judges this year, uh, lots of names you know who are going to be reading these anonymously, and this is your chance to submit and be discovered and be recognized for your excellence in business. And I promise you guys, some of you who don't think you win are going to win. And some of you might think you are gonna win, may not. It goes both ways. So, some of you, some of us have a very bloated sense of self worth. But that said, I think it's still good to find out, right? Find out where do you stack? Where do you um, land in the world of business? And tons of lash competitions, but really no business ones out there. And so, we really wanted to honor and recognize the best lash businesses so go to the link in the show notes or go to our instagram or go to our page lash cash productions any one of those places and you can find the information It's only 75 bucks guys it's super cheap and if you win you get to, you come and if you come to LashCon, you'll get to call on stage you'll get a little trophy i wear a tux that might not be worth it but everything else makes it worth it okay it's really really cool Other things going on. We have our podcast review right now. So if you haven't written that review, it's getting late in July. So please write it soon. And then don't forget to screenshot it and tag us. I noticed a couple people have done it, and I never saw a screenshot got tagged. Or if they did, they forgot. And then do it right. And so they can't win because I don't know who you are because the names they use there are not traceable, right? So make sure you get that done as soon as you can, maybe right after the end of this podcast. We also have our allergy webinars out for a couple more weeks. You want to get, um, and then we have our live Q&A connected out on August 9th. And, oh, by the way, last few words, I'm going to go back. I'm really all over here. August 19th is your deadline. So you have a month. You have like a little more than four weeks right now to go ahead Fill out that application and submit it and hopefully win. Okay, so Lashcon tickets are getting super close. Prices go up in like a week. So if you wanna get the cheapest ticket at this point, You need to buy it in the next, like, seven days. And there's a payment plan. Spread it out over four months, guys. Pay 25% down now, and the remaining three months, you can pay the rest. So it's really easy. And lastly, Tuscany's retention class is coming. Her next one is August 6th, 7th, in Indianapolis. You do not want to miss that one. That's the one to go to because it's $200 off. You get to save money, and it's right around the corner. Otherwise, you can see us in Vegas August 27th, 28th, okay? All right, that's all the announcements I have for you. So now let's sit down with Cheryl and talk about culture is something that i i think is a it's a great topic and of course talking to cheryl is always a blast hey cheryl welcome to the show excited to have you back i believe for our fifth episode which makes you the uh, really almost a co-host for us so we're so excited to have you back <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to be back. This is second home to me. So here is my second home.
1: Yeah, no, it's always a blessing. And we are always excited to hang out and talk with our fellow Lash Nerds, Cheryl. And today we're going to talk about something. Actually, I don't think we've ever talked about. This is one of these things that is actually probably on the one of the highest things on your list that you should care about with your business, because if you don't have this right, it's going to be really hard to build a successful business, yet In 230 some episodes, I don't think we've ever really hit. And that is culture, talking about culture in your business, your team, what's it like, how do you build it and what you don't want to look like, all that type of stuff. So let's get into it because Cheryl, it was just her idea. She reached out and said, hey guys, I'd love to talk about culture and what." duh, oh my gosh, I can't believe we haven't done this yet
0: yeah it's a topic that I'm very passionate about because I've always been extremely passionate about human natures and how humans interact with each other. And culture is the essence of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's you distill that interaction into a company culture. So I'm excited to just dive into the details. What do you want to know? What do we want to talk about?
1: the first, yeah where do we go? Well, let's first talk about where do we go? First, what is culture? Let's describe it so people can go, you know, because a lot of people think culture, they're thinking, is that what you have in that little Petri dish? Is that um, culture like a rock song? Like, hey, do we have a rock culture? I mean, what is culture when you think about a team or a salon or a business?
0: I'll share what I think a culture is yeah. in the company structure because that's what I'm familiar with. I love to hear what you think, Tassani, after talking about culture in a salon setting because yeah. that's not something I'm familiar with, you know? But I think a culture, is essentially, like I said, it's the way that people interact with each other in the company, in an organization. Also, the share values, mm-hmm. the share principles of these members of the organization. And the culture really kind of shapes how you interact with each other forward-facing to your clients and your customers. And then also inward-facing between each members and staff. And having a good culture is, is extremely, extremely important because it affects the effectiveness. It really affects the synergy of your organization Mm -hmm. and how well it jives with each other, how well it moves forward. So I think that culture in an essence is just the share of value and how you choose
1: to interact with each other in an organization. Cool. Tuss, you, you, you were so excited you wanted to jump in there.
2: Well, I, I love how you put it, Cheryl, explaining forward-facing. And I think that culture is is the medium. It's the rules of how people uh, specifically in a group or a company or an organization behave to one another. Mm-hmm. And it's the evidence, the way that the the rules that define the governing of them interacting is based on the culture. So you mentioned culture for like yogurt or wine, you know, those products are being produced By the culture. It's inculcating and producing something. So an Mm -hmm. oyster has this environment and it produces a pearl, right? So it's the broth, it's the environment which produces something. Mm -hmm. So you can look at a company on the outside and you can say, oh, they seem to have, like the Mayo Clinic for example, which is an amazing medical hospital, and they have stunning results for patients because the doctors all work together on one patient. It's not separate like it is other places. All the doctors get together and there's open lines of communication so it produces specific results that are great for for patients who have complications and really complicated cases. That culture of being able to talk to one another freely, getting on the phone without all this jurisdiction and red paper tape allows the patients to do exceptionally well. So it's like the product and Mm -hmm. the environment.
1: I would add Mm -hmm. to that, just like when you think of American culture, Chinese culture, name your country. And usually that culture is united by, I would say, two things. There's probably more to it, but I'm just going to simplify it. Language and values. Because language is the words we use to communicate, but values are what undergird that, like how you treat people, how you act towards people, how you behave and such, and what you do under stress. And and when something's wrong, what values dictate how you deal with that issue and how you recover and all that. So it's really interesting. And I thought that one of the things I love when you said looking out and in, Culture can really affect your brand and your brand Absolutely. Because if you have bad culture, then your brand is going to be marred. And I thought of a great example is Uber. Mm-hmm. I mean, Uber had bad culture. So bad. Yeah. My sister did an event for them, actually, way back, like eight, nine years ago, when they were just starting out. When
2: Travis Kalanick, I think it is. Yeah, he, he was still CEO the CEO was still
1: there. And she said she'd never met a, a more nasty group of people. That everyone she worked with, from the top to the bottom, she never dealt with the CEO, but just all the people mean, nasty, and then the event itself was horrible. I mean, like everyone got so wasted, and everyone was just disgusting. She said it was just disgusting to be they around.
2: They had hired like uh, medics or nurses to do IVs on people because they just on mass. They knew. they knew because they how knew that bad. everyone was going to get like completely wasted drunk. Yeah, and. And Which, the way that they treated the staff with the way that they treat, you know, it was just-
1: She got treated poorly. My sister said, I'll never do an event with Uber again. And it always was a reflection of the culture that the CEO had created in this company that was quite dysfunctional and sick. And so the brand actually suffered from that, right? The brand, people begin to know that- you know what? I have hear all these horrible stories about the culture. And well, there the people, was an article so. that
2: came out just recently that uncovered, you know, yeah, while he was at the helm. Their leadership put drivers in harm's way in terms of riots and protests against taxi people. And they did really, really shady things to just get their product in front of other nations like in India. Yeah. But they just did things that weren't on the up and up.
1: Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I (laughs) am.
2: But again, it just translates down, trickles down, and that those behaviors are emulated for everyone to see, and those things are accepted, and that's the culture that it produces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: If you leave it to three nerds like us to talk about culture, we can't help but bring back the science. We can't help back to bring back to, like, you know, the origin of the word. But it's a snowball effect, right? Like culture, is kind of grown, and then it replicates. Yeah. Yeah. It
2: reproduces.
0: Yeah, it reproduces. So that's why it's so important for a leader and a founder or the CEO of a company to really have a good grasp of what you want your culture to look like because you are, I don't want to use the word patient zero, it doesn't make sense, but like you're (laughs) like the initial sell that mm-hmm. started to yeah. replicate mm-hmm. and everything you attract are going to be similar to you mm-hmm. right yeah and if you haven't I always talk about how entrepreneurship is a self-discovery journey mm. and if you haven't really solidified what your value is as a person not even just in business but outside of business and how you want to live life as a person and you kind of approach life and business with a set of values that you have, it's like a magnet. It's just going to attract other people who share the same value and other people who share the same beliefs. And this is sometimes like a hard pill to swallow. If we as a leader have a certain set of toxic values and beliefs, we are inevitably going to build a certain type of toxic culture. For someone like me who loves to talk about culture and do feel like I lead with kindness, that does not mean that I haven't figured out, and it doesn't mean that I haven't made my share of mistake. If anything, my mistakes were scarier because it's harder to identify. Like mine mm. wasn't like the Uber was clearly <laughs> profit over people. Yeah, because I believe that I had inherently good values in those sense, where my toxic values becomes harder to identify, and I have my own share of toxicity in my culture, in the company that I built very unintentionally. So yeah, like it's really kind of a look inward, project outward type of thing.
1: No, I love to talk about that in a little bit. I I would love to get into what you built and what you learned, the lessons, because I think that's something that most people don't understand about their business is first, you get the business you build. And if it's one that you don't like, it's your fault, right? You're the leader. You're the one that hired the people. You're the one who... It poured your life into these people. And if you did it unintentionally, like we've have similar stories too, where when we first built the company, our salon. And we didn't really like the way the culture was going. And we at first wanted to blame all the employees. Go, oh, that's because you're a problem. You're a problem. You're a problem. And I realized mm-hmm, later mm-hmm, on, no, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm the problem. <laughs> I'm the one that's bringing these people in and embedding my culture. Or worse, sometimes you punt it, right? Sometimes, not punt, I, I can't use that word. No punting. No one knows what that means. We're not football fans here. We're I we're, know what that means. You do? Oh, I good. know what
0: that. Well, what does that's it mean? In poker,
1: you punt. Oh, you know? there you like, go. Okay, you do. Okay, yeah. you're right. You're
0: in you're right. poker, when you decide to play. Your hand irrationally because you got into your head about it, and then you make bad decisions. Knowing it's bad decisions. Yeah, but you just get so emotional that you completely fail the hand. You played mm-hmm. it really bad, so we would say I punted that hand. There
1: you go. So Cheryl knows what it means. Well, I still don't.
2: <laughs> it just means you fucked up. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. It almost That's sounds right. naughty too. Punt. No, no it doesn't mean.
1: <laughs> yeah. It does. What what is punt? Uh, in football, it means you're kicking the ball back to their team. You're saying, I'm done. We didn't get yeah. what we want to do. I'm punching the ball back to their team and they get the ball. So you're done. It's it, like you know
0: you no know way of winning. Yeah, okay, okay. It's, yeah, right. it's not it's it's like an objectively losing move.
1: Yes, you can't win no a way. game in punting. The game of punting is not a winnable game. Okay. <laughs> All right, now, but first, let's go back and let's talk about maybe what does a, a good culture, let's, let's talk about bad versus good, and maybe we can put some definitions in there, what people can be thinking, because maybe we're still really talking big picture here, and I think our listeners would, if they have not thought about this, maybe we can help lead them at least in some of the ideas of what we think a good culture would look like. So maybe, Cheryl, you can help us define good culture.
0: It's pretty hard to say that there is an objective truth of what good culture and bad culture is mm-hmm. because cultures are just like everything else. One size doesn't fit all. Yes. It's very unique to each organization, to each business model, to each individual, right? And a good culture, it's inherently one that's kind. It's mm-hmm. inherently one that it's people-driven and it's one that comes from a place of abundance and not scarcity, I feel like it's easier to identify a poor culture than a good culture if you really pay attention to it. Because on paper, how you identify a poor culture is that you can see the decisions that you're making because all the decisions we make, it should be based on the culture of the company and the value of the company. Mm -hmm. So you can see the decisions that you make are usually, like I gave an example, Uber, where it's profit over people. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. A decision that you make that just doesn't feel ethically correct yeah there's a lot of ethics in that but then there's also this gut feeling which is what i learned my blind spot in building the culture that i wanted the first time was that on paper my culture looked good but my gut feeling and how it made me feel it didn't make me feel good and this is something that i'm really learning in the last few months being someone who's very heady who's in my head all the time and think that rely on the way I think through things and decision-making, I have been ignoring the other parts of my brain. There's three brains that I'm learning. They're just your head, your gut, and your heart. And I've just been relying on my head for the past 29, 30 years of my life, you know? And I realized that, especially as a business owner, there is so much argument, even now scientific argument towards gut feeling, intuition. This is one that for those who may not have maybe done a lot of research into culture or had this conversation or even thought about this, I think the easiest way for you to spot red flag is how does it make you feel? And I think that I knew that the culture that I had built the first time was toxic because going to work made me feel unhappy. It made me feel scared to go to work. It made me felt like I had so much avoidance to it but you don't really spot it because I thought I was building a culture of kindness. Everyone be nice to each other. I want everyone to win. People over profit. But all of these are good idea inherently, but they also need to have strong supporting values such as transparency, boundary setting. But I didn't have that balance. I just thought, If we're just good to people, nice to people, Mm -hmm. then everything is going to. I know you guys relate to the story because we share our (laughs) stories to each other. Oh, it's so so
1: true. It's so true. You just think all you want to be is nice and they'll all work out.
0: But that's what I'm learning. Why I was saying earlier that building a good culture comes from a place of abundance and not scarcity, it comes from a place of love and not fear. And the reason why I was building this, you guys can't see it, but I'm doing an air quote right now, this nice culture, it was from a place of fear, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of failure. So my way of masking those fear was to just be nice, throw everything good on it, make promises. But it was still fundamentally come from a place of fear. Because if I wasn't fearful, I would also set boundaries. I would also set expectation. I would also give
2: feedback. So that is my personal experience. Cheryl, can you give us an example of when you say you wanted to be nice all the time and maybe promise things that you couldn't come through on, what did you actually do and how did it impact the
1: culture? What actual
2: effect did it have?
1: Story time. Yeah. Without names, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) The
0: first thing I did, I think, is being nice, I thought it was spoiling my employee, mm. right? I pay for every lunch and I even personally picked up one of my employees to go to work every day because she lives so close to me. Yeah, And then also my biggest blind spot actually was I thought I wanted to build a culture of curiosity and a culture of learner because that's what a learner is, right? It's somebody who loves to learn. So I wanted to build a culture where I encourage my staff to learn things. I encourage my staff to be better than me, to be smarter than me and give them resources to learn these things. But then I didn't have that internal understanding of you can do that, but also have your own opinions. So whenever I pass mm-hmm. on a task to someone else to do, I felt like I'm supposed to respect their intelligence yeah. mm-hmm. and respect their work Everything and respect that they said. their research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And just give credit to 100% what they say without giving feedback. Because who am I to give feedback when she is the person who Mm. has put in the effort to learn? So I completely deny myself the right to give feedback. And that affected the company because it created a lot of tension because I was just capitulating to her, but never able to voice my opinion but deep down I want to because it's my brand. I see it a certain way. Mm-hmm. I see it in a certain light and I wanted a certain visual and I wasn't getting that. But I felt like a nice person wouldn't hurt people's feeling by mm. telling them that they're yeah. not doing a good job. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know. So, so it's it's like you wanting a certain outcome and really making honest efforts at leading your team to those outcomes but realizing there's some internal work for you to be able to say, okay, that sounds like a great idea. I'm glad you had that outcome. And you would say, let's do it. Let's run with it. But instead, what you've learned now is that you should say, oh, what about this? What about that? Or how does that align with Untamed?
0: Yeah. Or just simply saying, that's not what I envisioned. Right, Mm -hmm. right. All I knew was the first part, which is thank you for your effort. Mm -hmm. You're doing a great job in learning. But I couldn't say the second part was, However, this is not my expectation. Exactly. And I was so scared to say that. So, when you build a culture based on fear, this is what happens. And I know firsthand in the service industry, we. <laughs> attract or a lot of people please or gravitate to this industry because is that instant gratification of making someone feel beautiful they appreciate you and you feel seen and you feel valuable right so I know I'm not alone on this probably a lot of listener are hearing this and just be like oh I also have a hard time yeah Delivering bad news.
1: What you said is so important because as a leader, your job is to have a standard and hold the company to that standard and to hold your team accountable to that standard. But because so many people are interested are people pleasers at heart, they feel that you're not being nice when you hold people to that standard. But it's, you're now failing the one of the core job duties of leadership is holding up the company to a certain level. And that's why so many people who are right now working solo can do great work there, but the moment they start hiring,
0: yeah. everything
1: tanks because they now just think everyone's going to be at the same level, naturally, they're not, and they think they're going to be nice, or they're going to be overpaying, like you said, and that's the same super story generous, here, super, super generous, cool. all these things, but you don't realize that that's not what builds a great culture, just being nice. It's no. also fulfilling these other leadership roles that you have, one of them being being You're the one that has to hold the standard. You have to toe the line. You have to lead by example and show the team what you expect and what they need to hold up to. And when you fail to do that, the team actually respects you less because they realize, well, Mm My boss don't care. Or I am better than my boss. Everything I do, she just says, yeah, whatever. Keep going, doing that. She never gives me feedback. No there's no leadership. There's no training. There's no mentoring. All these other things that are part of, the, I think, the formula that creates a good culture. So I just wanted to throw it out there because I think you nailed that perfectly. Yeah.
0: I think that a good sign to look for is that if you are, especially for those who had a job prior to becoming a lash artist, and you had a terrible experience. You worked at a toxic place, right? It's so easy for you to think that I just don't want to be anything like it. So I'm going to go to the extreme opposite mm, side of it. Yeah. If I had a mean boss who always berated me, everything I do, I'm going to be the most encouraging boss so that I'm going to compliment everything my staff does. But I think that these are all like, again, it's selfish reason. And for these selfish reason, you will see that you're actually A, intellectually underestimating your staff, thinking that they can't handle feedback. Mm. B, you're not allowing them to grow because you're not telling them how they can grow. Mm -hmm. You're just saying, good job, everything they do. And then C, you're protecting your feelings. So inevitably, it would affect your business, affect the Outcome and the project that you want to do. So, all in all, you're just assessing the intention of where that culture came from. And then just knowing that is it a fear based? Because to build a good culture, it's a little uncomfortable, actually. And I realized that I couldn't sit in the discomfort. I didn't lean into the discomfort. I was terrified mm. of the discomfort. So, one of the things that we're trying to do now at UA is a really fun exercise. That I'm excited to have this happen. is a suggestion of Phil's actually. Mm-hmm. For a week straight, our internal communication, Phil has suggested that we are going to take out exclamation point and emojis. So you communicate with your team, but you cannot use exclamation point or an emoji. And at the <laughs> moment he said that, I'm like, this is genius. And then he's like, we're going to give a speech about it. Because people are going to feel uncomfortable. They're going to feel like, what if he mis- she misreads my message? What if she thinks I have attitude? Like these are all the discomfort that we have to sit through in order to truly embody the value that we want culture, we want to do, which is clear is kind. Mm-hmm. You know, nice is not kind. Clear is kind, yes. you know?
1: I love that. clearest kind. I love that when I first heard that saying, it was like light bulbs just, just went off because it all of a made sense because mm-hmm. I think too often we're, when we communicate, we're, it's confusion because fear is dictating what the words we say, so we choose maybe not the right words because we don't want to hurt someone's opinion or feelings, I mean, and so we pull back and we're not cautious or we're too cautious instead of saying, look, I just need to be very clear because that's the kindest thing I can do for my team. By being ambiguous, by being avoiding, by doing all these other things, you actually are creating more tension and more confusion and more, more stress in the company and a bad culture. Because like you said, you underestimate really, really a lot of ways you're just saying, I don't believe you can handle this. And maybe you hired all the wrong people. Maybe they can't. Maybe you have to go back to relearn and think, I need to hire better people so that we can have these conversations so that we can be honest and, and clear and have um, good conversations to help the company move forward versus everyone being afraid to speak the truth. Anyhow, I know you were... Yes, been, I'm it, chomping
2: it, at the bit. I have two stories or two examples. One is outside of the industry and then one is actually in the industry. It's a tale from our salon. But the first one, it's just an example of culture. It's kind of like broad strokes, what we were first talking talking about. I watched a documentary about Boeing several years ago. They had the new Max 800, 737 737 max. And it was falling out of the sky. You know, remember?
1: (laughs) Dive bombing straight into the ground. So
2: this documentary detailed how this whole thing started. In the beginning, Boeing had such a trusted name in the world because they were built on safety. Everyone knew that Boeing was extremely safe. And how they got that reputation was because it started at leadership in the company. And the most important thing to Boeing was safety. And at any point of the process of developing reviewing, any safety protocols, any engineering thing, anybody could say, wait a minute, I think that we could make this safer or I'm concerned about this. Now, when I say everybody, even the janitor, mm-hmm. even the person who took out the trash, somebody who was not even involved in engineering could look at something and say, hey, wait a minute. And what would happen is when that happened, everything would stop. They weren't worried about the timeline. They were worried about the safety and they were worried about getting as much information from everybody else to find out What is it, can we learn from this? So what happened in the company is it it became, Boeing became known as it wasn't necessarily about the timeline, but everyone was collaborative. Everyone had the freedom to speak up. It was the invited opportunities. Everyone, no one felt stupid about saying something because the engineers listened to the janitors, that kind of stuff, right? So it created a certain culture. Years later, they merged with another company in order to stay relevant. And what happened, this other company said their most important thing, was the shareholders and the money. Mm. And so over time, the culture changed because they weren't interested in hearing about the feedback from the engineers, especially not the janitors. Mm -hmm. So people stopped talking about it. They stopped reviewing things. They started looking at data differently because the goal was saving the shareholders money. And then we have some systemic problems where planes are falling out of the skies even a decade later. right? So how can we translate that practically down into a lash business. You talked a lot about the company, which I totally appreciated, but there's another aspect of culture. And that's, for example, my idea when I started Integrity Lash was that I figured we could solve anybody's lash problem. Now I might Mm -hmm. not know how to do that. I might not even know what the problem is or how to articulate it, but I believed we could solve it. So what did that mean? This is how we, we informed the staff. I said, we're not going to call anybody crazy.
1: Clients say there's clients. Clients,
2: clients. So if a client comes in and says they want something and they're not happy, we're going to try our best to figure it out. Even if it seems unreasonable, I'm going to give away service. I'm going to have it come out of, at a cost to me to figure this out. Why? Because I believe that we can solve this. And if I can't solve it, I mean, in that process, I'm going to learn something. Because I believed that if I didn't solve that problem, it would continue to haunt me for the rest of my career. She would just look different. She had a different face when she walked through the door, but I would still be haunted by the same problem. And the staff would too. So I began to say, we can't say that the the client is crazy. We can't say that these kind of thing. We have to say, if she's seeing something, we have to figure out what it is, is she's saying and what it is we're missing. Um, so it created an environment that was very much like, At first, when people would come in to work with us, they'd say, I don't know anybody else that listens to their clients complain as much as you guys do. Mm -hmm. And people would be upset. They'd be like, I don't seem to be able to do the right work. And I would say, listen, if you don't learn how to solve this problem with this client here, she's going to haunt you for you. just like what I said, she's going to haunt you for the rest of your career. You got to figure it out. She's going to look different, but the problem is going to be the same. So that's why we do it this way. So that's an Mm -hmm. example of what the culture, the idea, and then how it plays out.
1: Yeah, that's uh, true. It's, I think those are two really fine examples. So, next, what I thought we might jump into is a little bit about culture killers. What kills a culture? Because we talked a little bit what good culture is. And I think everyone wants to have a good culture. I don't think anyone builds a team going, I want the crappiest place on the planet. Yeah. A lot of people are broken. And some of us are more broken than others. And hurt people hurt people. And I think when you try to build culture, you can, if you don't think about it, if you're not intentional, it will break down. It will always go to a, a bad path. You have to be mm-hmm. very intentional about culture. It's not something you just put on the back burner and go, well, we'll get to that after we make the company profitable or after we do this or after we do that. Like with Boeing, like when they lost their people first and safety first and went to profits first, the culture... Went down the tank and hundreds of people died, sadly, as a result of those bad values. So I think there are certain things that you can do that help build your culture, but there are definitely a longer list, I think, of things that will kill your culture. Yeah. I went through and wrote some myself out, but I want to maybe poke your, your brain a little bit first, Cheryl. See so what for you, as you look at your experience, you shared a little bit of one with your own personal experience, but anything else out there you would think that would kill or help hurt your team's culture?
0: I think. Lack of transparency that would really kill the culture. Because if you have lack of transparency within the culture internally in your mm-hmm. organization, you're not going to have that same level of transparency to your consumer. Either, So it's one of those things that they really go hand in hand, how you do your organization internally. It reflects how you portray your business externally. I was just thinking as Tuss was talking about how, you know, the real difference between we are obviously here specifically talking about culture for organization like salons or companies or brands but there is culture even for solo artists too, but they're just called values, mm-hmm. right? They're just the values of your business, how you decide and commit to conduct business. When you're an individual, it's a value, but when you get a team of people to commit to that together, it's a culture. Mm-hmm. So if you start committing transparency now to your clients, when mm-hmm. you build a salon, that's going to carry over with the staff as well. So mm-hmm. lack of transparency would be one of the biggest ones. Before,
1: Before you get to the second point, line, line, I want to come give a counter I believe that hundred percent, but I actually learned that too much transparency, there's a level here, right? Yeah. There were some days with our salon where I wasn't sure if we we're going to make payroll and someone would say, well, you should have been transparent with your team. No, no. That type of transparency stays at the C-suite or at the leadership level where you have to fix some things in your company, but you can't roll tell your team. Guys, I hope tomorrow you'll get a paycheck. That no. type of transparency will literally set the house on fire and because the company will really burn like, to the ground. Because they like, I can't
2: depend on this. I got to start looking somewhere else.
1: I mean, obviously, if the company's struggling, you got to be open about that. I could say, look, you need to tell and say, guys, we're missing the mark here. The company's struggling. We need to fix some things eternally. We need to get better retention. We need to work on our client retention. We have to work on some things, sell more product, whatever. That type of transparency, I think, is great. I just think when you, you open up your book and show the bank account here's our bank account a big zero and you're like and they're like oh thanks for the transparency i'm quitting today i'll go find a new job right so i guess there're like anything in life too much one way or the others i think it can be dangerous well it's
2: kind of like parents and children you might have a, a day that you, you hate your spouse and you're like, I can't stand living with you. I really want to divorce you. You feel that way. You know, you're not going to, but you feel yeah, that way. Yeah. You don't come out and tell your kids, I really hate your father today. And I really want to leave him. <laughs> I mean, they don't understand that it, it, it's a feeling. You're going to overcome you're it. You're going to work through it. You're yeah. going to work through it. But they lack the tools to be able to do that. That that would be abusive to them.
1: But at the same time, I think hiding everything and playing smoke and mirror games is toxic to the company and i think that transparency and openness builds trust because i think that's the goal right always you're trading trust in a company and when you have trust as your foundation your company can thrive and grow the moment there's no trust that's when people start having what um i remember hearing this once on a podcast the meeting after the meeting so you'll have uh-huh. your meeting with everyone, and then you walk out of the room going, yeah, that was a great meeting. And then everyone gets around goes, so what do you think? Okay, so, are we
2: going to so, do know? this or not? Are we, are we doing this? Because I don't think yes, so. right. Oh my gosh, can you believe them? What do they want
1: us to do next? All right, anyhow, let's get to the the other thing you were talking about.
0: Another culture killer would be when there's superiority complex in a culture.
1: Oh, no? like you, like from the boss or from the team or... I think
0: that anyone who it's within a position of a leader needs to check for their ego type of thing. I guess fear. That would be a culture killer. Yeah. Fear in general. Because why do you have a superiority complex? It's because you're fearful, right? Yes. So fear will be a culture killer for sure. Because yeah. any decision made from a place of fear, even if it gains you the results that you want now, yeah, it's going to affect your results in the long term. So yeah. I think that fear and that scarcity mindset will be a huge culture killer because I see so many great lash artists, great business owner that isn't able to grow because they become their own bottleneck. Mm. But the fear of letting go of control or the fear of being inferior or the fear of just like a lot of those things, stops them and makes them continue to be the bottleneck of their business. yeah, um, so fear would be a huge culture too. Can I
2: ask about yeah. that the fear? Are you talking about fear? I always thought it was not a good thing if my staff was afraid to say they didn't know something or if they were afraid to say they did something wrong. I wanted to make it so that it was ok to say I made a mistake. And it was okay to say, I don't know. The worst thing you could do is go along and do something and miss the opportunity to learn something. Because if they felt they were afraid to say they didn't know something or they made a mistake, then they would be trying to hide that. Is that the kind of fear you're talking about?
0: Yeah, that definitely falls into that category. But that fear only comes from a leader who makes decision based on fear. Because when the team member and the staff sees that the leader is making decision out of fear, the type of decision the leader would make is berating you if you did something wrong because they're so fearful that this is going to ruin their business. Yeah, yeah. they will be, let's say, tell you that don't come to me with your ideas. Don't tell me you don't know something because they're fearful that they hire the wrong staff, that isn't a competent staff. So it does come from the leader of the sphere. Fear breeds fear, right? Like even, For my example, in our company at one point, all of our unhidden little problems in our culture, it's always come from a good place, right? Like this place of being nice and encouraging others and telling them they're doing a good job. But because as a leader, I did this out of fear. I complimented out of fear. So I also never give feedback. And my team member who gets onto the team, really resonated with this whole, let's make everyone feel valued and seen and appreciated, but also follow a leader who never give constructive criticism, never deliver bad news, then we become a point of this team where people are now scared. They're trying to preserve that culture so badly that they no longer give really you know critical feedback to
1: yeah, each other. They're not super effective.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. And that's from a place of fear. Yeah. So I think fear covers all of that. And it's lack of vulnerability. I think that's what it is. It's a lack of vulnerability because vulnerability is, how did Brene Brown say it? Jumping into the arena and not knowing whether you're going to make it or not, but just trying Mm -hmm. and giving feedback is one of those things. Mm. Telling someone you don't like something they did is one of those things because you don't know how they're going to react. Yeah. So the time you don't do it, it's really for you to protect your own feelings, not their feelings. So, yeah, fear is one of them. I think the last one I would say is real big culture killer is lack of boundary. That's probably a really, really big one. Lack of personal boundary, for example. Mm -hmm. There's this whole saying that I want my workplace to feel like home. My work is my second family. This is so overpraised in our culture. It got to a point where This might be getting a little too deep, but most family, at least like in my understanding, in most family dynamic, there is lack of boundary just Mm -hmm. because the lack of understanding in parenting and like all of this, we grew up, a lot of us grew up in a family dynamic that doesn't really have a lot of boundary. And if we want our work to feel like home, that also means that our work probably don't have a lot of boundary. And that becomes a really big culture killer because we start applying our personal expectation instead of professional expectation into our workplace. And it kind of confuses the relationship a little bit. And for somebody who really wants to be liked by everybody and just want to be best friend with everyone, this was a hard lesson for me to learn as well. Mm. That doesn't mean you can't become really close friends with the people that you work with. You absolutely can, but- Actually, one team member on our team, she does a really good job at even, you know, having that professional boundary and still becoming really good friends with people outside of work. Her relationship with me outside of work and the relationship in work, there is a difference. Mm. The way that she communicates, her professionalism that comes with it. And I really respect that because she's able to draw that boundary of this is my professional relationship and this is my personal relationship. Mm. So there's like the boundary setting in that sense. And then also boundary setting in a way that you want to be community. Like what you were saying earlier, Paul, about how you don't have to be transparent about everything. And the things that you're talking about that you don't need to be transparent about are the things that you're setting boundaries on. Those are the things that are your responsibility as an owner to make sure that you pay Your staff, the salary. It isn't really their problem because they're not concerned with that. So you're setting that boundary there. Whereas no boundary would be complete transparency, tell you everything, like you know, telling your kid that I hate your dad today. No boundaries, you know? (laughs) Exactly no boundaries.
2: I have two examples with boundaries between staff and the clients. If you have staff, one of the mistakes that I made early on, and it's a killer to the culture, is using the team to meet your own personal needs. And what I say is that if you are feeling unsure about an interaction that you just had with a vendor or an interaction with you had that you had with another staff member, one of the easiest things that we can do because we do this socially is we go to a friend and we talk about it. We say, "I just did this," and this person did this to me. The problem is, is that when you're the boss, the staff they are not going to challenge you. They're going to say what you want them to hear, so lots of times people, bosses, leaders will use the staff to meet their personal like needs, Michael like, Scott that. From like the exactly office. like Michael Scott, <laughs> like he says, "Oh, we're going out for a party or something." Everyone has to go because you know it's, it's the, he's boss the boss, said that. right? Yeah. Yeah. And Michael doesn't understand that these are Conference really nice friends. Yes, yeah. yes. Right? That's a problem. You cannot use your staff, their ears, as a way to make yourself feel better about whatever it is because Absolutely. it totally undermines. Then people begin to think, oh, she talks to me. She talks to, She told you that. So the way to solve that, in my opinion, is is that you always complain up. You never complain laterally. If you have or a complaint down. about something, you talk to somebody who can actually solve the problem, not your staff, yes. right? So well put. Right. Yeah. So the issue with the client is that again, you cannot use your client to meet your needs. For example, yeah. Sometimes they come in and you're so friendly with them and you love them, but you cannot, you must not ever forget they're coming to you. They are paying you for a service. They're lashes, right? So many times it's taken me a long time to realize this is that if you only treat them as a friend, you're not you're not going to want to charge them. You're not going to you're, you're going to make excuses if yeah. they're late for them, right? You can't do that. You're going to get resentful, and you're gonna, because you're treating them as a friend, and
1: and they're taking advantage of your friendship. friendship, right? Yeah.
2: The other thing that you can't do is you can't because they're so friendly and so agreeable with you. You cannot forsake your role in their life as their lash artists. So you might start talking about stuff and not tell them. Listen the way that you're cleaning your lashes is not clean enough. I don't recommend this look for you. Maybe that, maybe I need to see you more often or you're burning your lashes and it's really making it hard for me to do my job. It's giving you a look that's not pretty. Having those discussions, I mean, you may skip it because you feel like it's a hard conversation and they're my friend, but you're not doing them a favor by not holding those boundaries.
1: I think one exactly. of the keys underneath all this with the boundaries is that you're allowing your staff to feel safe. When you create boundaries, there's safety. When there's no boundaries, there is no safety. You don't know what to expect. Yeah. You don't know is today going to be an update or is it going to be a down day? Like, also, I think a culture killer is when the boss, all their emotions are just everywhere. Like, they know when you're happy, they know when you're sad, they know when you're mad. And you're not that stability, the force that you really need to be there as a CEO, as a boss. You have to create this leadership. So you have to be a stable force in the company. And so many bosses, I think, because they want to be transparent or clear or open are destabilizer because they're kind of letting everyone know, I'm having a crappy day. And so I'm being open about my life. You should just accept it. And meanwhile, the whole team is emotionally distraught over the boss being so upset. And they don't tell you because they can't because that's destabilize yeah. even more we
2: had a staff member who came from a, a situation she's like I really love it but the problem that we have is that we can all tell if our if our boss has had sex the night before or not with her husband because yeah. if she hasn't had sex she is crazy and she's mad at everybody and everyone's cowering in fear you know and if she has everything's fine but isn't wow, that horrible that's the
1: only thing that determines yes. her daily and happiness can you imagine
2: who's gonna come up to them and say you know what when you don't have sex with your husband you're a total bitch to everybody who's gonna say that
1: yeah no. I hope yeah, not.
2: you're right
1: yeah yeah
0: because <laughs> that also causes a certain boundaries.
1: exactly yeah that's what I mean that's it's not safe now and I love that I think the boundaries are so important and another thing too I was thinking is creating competence allowing people to feel competent in what they do and it's not just encouraging people encouraging is nice there's so much more than creating competence it's actually empowering people and like creating a roadmap for them say here is your roadmap now go for it and I'm here as the leader to Make sure you're doing your job and to come in because clear is kind. I'm going to tell you when you get off track, when you're not going the right direction, I'm going to step in and recorrect the course. But otherwise, I'm not going to be there hand-holding you every day. I'm not going to be doing your work for you. And then that creates competence and people feel good about themselves and they want to do the work and then they feel proud. And that and becomes contagious. But what can kill that then on the opposite side is when you – endorsing competence in the company, which I've done so many times. Guilty as charged. Uh, where someone tells us to say, this person, we need to come. They're just not doing a good job. And I would say, oh, but they're, oh, oh they need really a job. Not, they're really not that
2: bad. They're, they're not <laughs> harmful. Yeah. I really like to talk to yeah, them. Yeah, and then meanwhile, and, oh. the team
1: is all seething because like, why is this person on the team? They're not pulling their weight. They're not good. They're hurting the company and you're the boss, isn't it your job to guard and protect the company and make sure it's growing and thriving? Right now, you're not. And thus, the culture sucks or gets hurt by that. So I can go on for hours about culture killers because I've been good at it.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how we know. You and all of us have (laughs) done. That's the thing
0: that I think I want your listeners to take away from is that Culture isn't built in a day because you don't discover who you are in a day. You learn as you go and it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay. You're going to get it wrong. And as long as you are able to correct path and it really is putting a magnifying glass under yourself and knowing that what are your motives and intention to do the things that you do? Like talking about the friend thing that we were doing, right? We, especially for all my people, please are out there that's here listening to this. It took me a really, really long time and I'm still working on it to accept that not everyone's going to like me. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to want to be my friend. And that does not reflect on my worth. And that does not a reflect, not a reflection of who I am and how lovable I am. But it takes me a long time to even A, learn about that. And then now I'm in the process of internalizing that. So when we're making these decisions in our business and building these culture, like I think that not only we need to empower our team member and staff, but the person that we truly need to empower is ourselves. Empower ourselves to do the scary thing sometimes. Empower ourselves to be a little bit vulnerable. And the best thing I heard actually about vulnerability is that I used to think that I was a very vulnerable person because I openly talk about my stories and I tell people about the harsh stuff in my life. And yeah. I always thought, oh, I'm a pretty vulnerable person. I cry, no problem. I can shed tears. I'm a vulnerable person. Until I learn in my therapy sessions and stuff like that, that my therapist is like, you have a bit of a vulnerability problem, don't you? And i was like,
1: what? No, <laughs> are you
0: kidding me? You want me to cry right now in front of you? I'll cry right now in front of you. But I learned later that vulnerability is doing the things that's hard, mm. that is uncomfortable in that moment. And it changes because the second is not uncomfortable anymore. It's no longer a vulnerable thing to do mm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So for me, giving feedback, it's a vulnerable thing to do. Whereas maybe someone else is crying in front of another person. Maybe for someone else, it's sharing personal stories about another person. Yeah. Vulnerability isn't a one size fit all at all. And it's one of those things that like where you find that discomfort and you know it's what you want to do and you know it's the right thing to do, that's where it's scary and that's where it's vulnerable. And you just practice it and then it becomes not scary anymore and then you just move on to the next thing that's vulnerable. And being a leader it's like the ultimate vulnerability test, Mm. you know, it's how vulnerable are you willing to be? Because the more you are, the better a leader you're going to become and the better of a culture you're going to build. And uh, it's a scary thing and it's difficult, (laughs) but it does pay off at the end.
1: So I I have a really strange (laughs) idea popped in my head. So if I'm, not comfortable farting in public, does that mean I'm vulnerable? Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I was like, okay, once I start farting in public and I'm comfortable, then that just means it's not a longer No. Let's,
0: let's get into it.
1: <laughs> Why are you uncomfortable?
2: What uh, makes you uncomfortable? Because of my wife. It? No, 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 no. Actually, let's talk about this for just a second. Oh, really? We're yes, going to talk about the fart. Okay, so like when we were first married, I would get upset if you would fart. In front of me, you know, I'd be like, you know, come on. I
1: mean, let's still create some mystery here, right? I, like, yeah. I'd be mad. I'd be like, he'd fart. I'd be like, oh, really? Uh, so I learned to keep it all in and I gained 20 pounds. No. no, <laughs> Okay, but then
2: I think it was, pounds of air. I was just, I was
1: just a big balloon.
2: <laughs> I think it was after we'd been married 20 years. All well, right? you started
1: eating a lot more vegetables, I think. Well, okay, but, yeah. so yeah,
2: I started eating. and then And then when you eat a lot of vegetables, you can't help it. It just comes out. Like, I'm walking down the street, it's like-
1: <laughs> like, oh gosh, you have a lot more around. gas vegetables great so, gas and then
2: then i realized okay listen if he can't fart in his own home in the bedroom at night when we're both alone where can he fart i mean honestly and then i'm like i feel the same way too because literally it's just coming out of me right so i that i was at that point that i said okay you can fart and i don't have to say anything about it and we it's so funny because our son and um he just got married and his wife, we were joking, and and she turned him and said, "Now that we're married, it doesn't mean you can fart." And we just all started laughing. And I said, "Just wait, yeah, because if you can't fart in your own home, where can you fart?"
1: I don't know. I I used to fart outside. Anyhow, really, <laughs> really bizarre story, plot there. But vulnerability, I love. There huh? we go. Yeah, yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. Vulnerability. Anyhow, I think that w- that was well said, and I hopefully I will think about that one myself a little bit because I think that's a, this whole thing we we mentioned before we got on the podcast that a lot of this is tied into leadership. A lot of things yeah. about culture is really about leadership. If you really want great culture, then you have to become a great leader. And mm-hmm. re- leadership is no one's born a leader. No one gets it out, out of the womb. That's a skill that you have to learn and grow. Some may have an easier path in it because they're just personality traits they have, but you still have to learn and grow. And that's a, like you said earlier, it's a journey of self-discovery. Who yeah. are you really? What is at your core? What values define you? And when you begin to dig underneath the layers and find out what really are the values and you begin to find that fear is one of them, then you can start working on that and replacing that with other uh, feelings or other ideas so that you can reflect that and that can become more your standard and then your company can reflect that and then that can become your culture. But yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to be said if you really want a great culture is working first on yourself, reading Mm -hmm. a lot of good books on self-development, finding and being self-aware really and being brutally honest and saying you know what i'm this way because this i hate this about myself but i can change you just because you learn something about who you are doesn't mean that oh that's it i'm done no change ever again i'm going to always be this this type of person no once you really begin to get to the core and find why you're there then you can tweak it and you can move it it's not gonna happen usually overnight but over time Build the new ways of thinking, and now that will come new habits, and then now that will come new culture. I'm also becoming very psychological here, but <laughs> I, I just think leadership is really, in the end, something that we're not, we didn't get into too much, but really is something that I encourage you if you're listening and you really want a better culture. There are definitely books out there you can start reading about development. There's a ton. I mean, I'm sure you may. I don't know, Cheryl, maybe you want to share a couple books I know that you found yeah. that have really helped you find your on your journey of the self-discovery and all that.
0: My favorite book, well, for leadership, is a Billion Dollar Coach. Mm. And that is, let me just try to make sure I'm saying it right. Billion, it billion Dollar, dollar coach. coach.
1: I know, I think I just saw that recently and I was like, interesting title.
0: No, Trillion Dollar Coach. My bad.
1: Tril- oh, wow. Trillion they dollar. upgraded it to Trillion. trillion billion was not enough. <laughs> trillion no. Dollar Coach. It's
0: about, it's about Bill Campbell, who is an amazing, amazing leader. And he was the coach of Steve Jobs. Bill Gates and all of these like really big, massive tech startups, like mm. founders. Yeah, And he demonstrated exactly what clear is kind mean. He is somebody who is so kind, so empathetic, but yet at the same time, hold you accountable for what you should do and never tell you what to do. Because as a leader, what you're really doing is you're helping the people you lead to discover who yeah. they are. It's not telling or managing who they are, you know? I love that. But overall, yeah. So that's kind of like where I think a really good leadership book that I really like. Um, I've actually kind of transitioned and like back in the days, old Cheryl would have a million books to recommend, but I'm actually slowly transitioning out of this self-development, self-help type of arena mm-hmm. because I'm finding that a lot of this information that I was absorbing was actually contributing to me believing that I'm good if and I'm good when mm-hmm. when I really want to work on it's I'm good enough now. Mm-hmm. So I think that going back to what you were saying about the, you know, self-discovery, knowing what you're not good at and then change it, like back then I would have been like, yeah, Paul, like that's exactly what it is. But today, Cheryl would actually disagree with that a little bit. Hmm. I think that learning about who you are and then the next thing you do is just accept it and love that part of yourself and not wanting to change it because you'd be surprised when you love it and accept it, you actually change without needing to try to change it. Just like how, um, you know, everyone thinks that like, if I completely let go, I'm just going to be a couch potato and I would do nothing on a couch all day and I'll just be the laziest person because that's my internal dialogue that I believe for a long time that I'm inherently lazy because I don't have the work ethic that I see so many people have. But you realize that human aren't inherently like that. We aren't built to just wanna be lazy and do nothing. But what holds us back, it's always been the judgment and the shame that we have on ourselves mm. on not being good enough, not doing enough and how we can be better. And I spent the last decade of my life just trying desperately to be better And that I think that it's actually contributed to my burnout, contributed to, you know, a lot of the internal dialogue that I don't enjoy as much. But the second I decided to just let go and accept learning these things about me, for example, that I am a sensitive person, I'm a people pleaser. When I first learned about that, I was like, okay, I'm going to change, I'm going to set boundaries, I'm going to learn how to set boundaries and blah, blah, blah. But it actually never really worked. But I realized that now I'm better at than it than ever, it's because now I love that part of me. I know that I'm a sensitive person. I know that I am very cautious of how other people feel about me and how I feel about them. But accepting that actually made me realize that, oh, like it's not a bad thing about me. It's just who I am. But then I started to not care a little less, but because I accepted it, the fear is gone. So the decision that comes with every interaction I have with other human being is now no longer based on fear. So, in turn, I actually become less of a people pleaser. Yeah. Because it's no longer from a place of fear, you know. But when you want to change who you are, because you learn these things about yourself, you're still doing it from a place of fear, fearful that that person isn't lovable, mm. a person who is a bad leader or a people pleaser or overcompensate isn't lovable. And you only are loved when you can change those things about yourself, or if you change those things about yourself. So long story short, I'm pretty much over all self-help books now. <laughs> all
1: right. <laughs> I actually don't read self-help books myself a whole lot. I always talk about personal development and I'm more thinking about growing and in my character. And, um, and interesting you say, uh, kudos to you for disagreeing with me, by the way, good for Cheryl. One point for Cheryl. <laughs> uh, yeah, be- because that's, you know, something I think is not, was, would not be natural to you in the past. You would just, you might've actually just no. punted that one. We'll say it uh, moved on No punting. and be like, well, i just, we'll just quietly agree. And, and inside I'm not being really honest with myself at this point. So that's really cool. And I never thought of it the way you said, I think that's really actually quite interesting to learn, to accept and I think in a certain sense, I'd say, yeah, I do see when you see something about yourself, saying that my value is worse because that's who I am isn't really healthy. I think that's a bad mm-hmm. way to go about it. Like, oh, whatever it is that I don't like about myself. Let's say I'm bald. No, that's dumb. Uh, something personal is to say whatever. I, like I get flustered real easy if things don't go well and I get mad and I can get mad about something really sometimes trivial things. And so for me to go back and realize, for me, I realized I had to go back and look back and say, well, why am I getting mad? Well, I feel like I'm entitled not to have to deal with difficult things. I deserve things to go my way. I deserve, because I work hard and I do this, I shouldn't be inconvenienced at times. So for me, I actually do when I'm about to, interwebs there's certain calling AT&T is one of these things that does it for me calling AT&T usually sets me off I just get mad because it's never easy it's like a 10-hour experience of pain and agony dealing with this company <laughs> and so I now actually have to coach myself before I make that call saying first I'm not entitled to an easy day I may have to spend hours working through this problem and that's not my right not to have to with people there are people all day that have to deal with huge problems in their life and I'm not entitled to an easy life But at the same time, I understand they are frustrating me. They are stopping me from my goals. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. are doing things that make me upset. And I have the right to be angry, too, because they are doing their job right. So I begin to balance these two things. But at the same time, then I can make a choice. I'm not going to, though, because I'm a grown-up, and I can control my emotions, and I can choose joy. I can choose the way I want to react to this situation. That I'm not going to, when I get on the phone with them, I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to be, I will, if they do things wrong, I will be angry. And I will acknowledge my head that they are making me angry. It's like this dialogue mm-hmm. I'm having with myself as I coach myself through a situation. And I'm not trying to stop so much say, I can't be angry because that's not the answer. I love that. I have to be angry. I wasted three hours with them today, you're saying. <laughs> so, but anyhow, yeah. it's interesting what you're saying. And so I think I, I agree with a lot of what you, that, and uh, thank you for bringing that up. We've really gotten heavy on you're this. Allowing
0: mode. that full spectrum of what it means to be a human being. And, yeah. And I spent a long time, I guess, managing the human being I wanted to be, which mm. is one that is not inconvenienced to other, one that's always happy, one is not Combative, not, you know, imperfect in the most perfect way.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, which is so
0: ironic.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but there's a lot of beauty in that. There really is, and that's why. What's her name's? Um, beauty is imperfection. Imperfectionist beauty,
2: Michelle. Yeah,
1: I always love that name. I just think it's it's uh it's hard for me to remember, but I love I, I love the name because I really think it, there's a lot of truth in that. And yeah. we, anyhow, i just looking at the time. I know you had
2: a hard stop five minutes ago. No, so. no, no,
1: no I did. Yeah, we need to get well, going. But that that said, we will have you back again. I want to get you back in soon because I actually want to talk about the next thing, and that is the future of our industry. Let's do it. I would love to talk about that. That's uh, I'm a geek when it comes to those things because I sit around all day and watch and observe and and in my mind think what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah, so, I uh, know. Yeah, so it's we. Can, what
0: entertains us? Yes,
1: <laughs> it's big picture stuff. is fun. So, but that's yeah. it. Thank you so much, Cheryl. As always, you are a blessing to us and to our industry, and we are lucky to have you as a oh. friend. And I want to tell people if you're not already listening to the Untamed podcast, you are missing out. And I'll say the second best podcast behind ours. <laughs> but it's, it's exceptional, guys. There's a lot of last podcasts out there. And I listen to, I think I've listened to every episode of your show. And I really find it um, helpful Great. and both entertaining and educational. And what I love too is you guys tend to do things that other people don't do. And you talk about things that other people don't talk about. And I yeah. think for that, Our industry is better for it. So um, definitely go check out Untamed Podcast. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. And otherwise, thank you, Cheryl, for everything today.
0: Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure.
1: Hey, guys, guess what? That's a wrap. We are done. We are out of here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I want to ask you to please follow us on Instagram at LashCast and at the Lash Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review. On behalf of my Lash Bun Bun Tustany, as well as our special guest, Cheryl, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing. And remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.